This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Well, welcome to this episode of Real Talk. Jesperson here with John Hicks. Uh, this episode, we take you inside the eye of a storm. Uh, storm chaser Aaron J. Jack uh, joining us in mere moments. This guy, an absolute legend. It was his footage that you probably watched if you were keeping a keen eye on that Didsbury tornado back on July 1st on Canada Day. It was a tornado that caught the attention of people, quite frankly, around the world, and in large part because of the intensity of the footage that Aaron J. Jack captured. This guy is wired differently than most of us. He goes right into the heaviest storms. We're talking wind, of course, up to the Tornado-type status. We're talking about softball-sized hail. We're talking about some of the biggest blizzards you've ever seen. We're going to find out what makes them tick and what it was like to witness the devastation of that Didsbury Twister firsthand. Crazy. Plus, uh, man, that footage that you've been looking through this morning, I, I just want to pick this guy's brain on, like, what does it <laughs> take sort of from a courage standpoint, or maybe he'll use a different word, to head towards something that everybody yeah. else is getting the hell of the way out of the way of? Maybe I shouldn't say it, but balls of steel. And it's funny because when the Didsbury thing happened, I went back and watched uh, Twister, of course, the big movie from back yeah. in the day, and just just insane what you have to have inside you to go after these things. Right? And then his footage, and we're going to show this to you. This is an episode, obviously, if you're listening to us as you're walking your dog or on your road trip, thanks for downloading the podcast. But in my opinion, this is an episode you're going to want to watch on YouTube because we're going to be showing you a whole bunch of video and Aaron will be taking us through it. On the second half of the episode, we'll sit down. A conservative member of parliament, Mike Lake, is going to join me in studio. We heard from Liberal Cabinet Minister Randy Boisneau yesterday. You're going to hear from the environment. Environment Minister, uh, the Federal Environment Minister, Gilbo, on this show tomorrow. We want to have a fulsome conversation about Canada's net zero targets. It all kind of fits, doesn't it? We're talking to people about the, the magnitude mm -hmm. of these storms, and then we're talking They're to people about climate change. And, yep. and I'm not saying that, that oil and gas causes tornadoes. We're not drawing direct lines there, but we are taking a look at things like floods and wildfires Hail. and understanding you know, that we all have our part to play. Now, how we play that part is the question and you're going to hear different perspectives from politicians from different parties on this show we look to you for your analysis of this and you can send us an email your thoughts anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com a couple of trash talk submissions received yesterday after our politics talk of course that's coming up on friday your chance to blow off a little steam before we get to aaron jacek wanted to let you know that this episode of real talk is presented by our friends at danatech do you need safety training that actually makes a difference on your job site. Danatech has been the leader in Canadian safety training for more than 30 years. Their online blended and instructor-led training courses combine regulatory compliance with real-world smarts and practical tips from experts who actually know how job sites work, let alone busy ones, right? You can visit danatech.com today to check out their course catalog and train your team the right way at danatech.com. 
Well, as mentioned, uh, Aaron Jajak is uh, a storm chaser, a professional one at that, that tracks down some of the world's most extreme weather. He's seen hundreds of tornadoes. He's been inside of some major hurricanes, including the Category 5 Michael down in Florida back in 2018. He's covered dozens of major blizzards, and he has tens of thousands of fans that subscribe to his YouTube channel and, of course, take in what he's witnessing firsthand. Now, I can do an all right job of introducing Aaron J. Jack, but he probably, I would say, would do a better job introducing himself. This is Storm Chaser Aaron J. Jack, just in the southwest of Didsbury, Alberta, with a tornado in progress right now, moving off to the east. Big tornado forming overhead, intermittent touchdowns, big funnel cloud overhead. Stay alert if you are downstream from Didsbury, Alberta. Big tornado forming right now. Tornado war, but it's about the touchdown. Now, more than a million people have watched his footage of that July 1st storm, and he joins us now live. Aaron Jajak, welcome to Real Talk. It's nice to see you. Hey, uh, thanks for having me here having me here on Real Talk. And actually, that was a, a pretty fantastic uh, description of myself and what I do. So <laughs> well, I applaud you on that. Well, listen, I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say I've been following you for years because I haven't. I only have just discovered you, and I haven't stopped DMing you on Twitter ever since. Because the deeper I get into your YouTube channel, uh, the more intrigued I am. Uh, you know, what makes you tick? How did you get into this? What sort of nerve do you have to have to head straight for something like? that but 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 help us understand what led up to july 1st like where are you right now how do you track storms and what prompts you to to drive halfway across the continent yeah so right now i'm in boise manitoba i'm actually i'm a u.s citizen but i am in the process of becoming a permanent resident here in canada Uh, my wife is a canadian and she's a storm chaser as well Uh, she has a full-time job but so doesn't uh, storm chase professionally well, we met on Twitter uh, back in 2018, and uh, and then things have taken off from there. And we have a, a son together. His name's Jet, uh, like the Jet Stream. And yeah, so you know, I uh, my, every day as you know, I desire to be in the the biggest, baddest storms. So every morning I wake up, and first thing I do is get a cup of coffee and start looking at weather models and. Uh, in this particular chase, you know, I had been watching the weather models for at least a week out from El- uh, from that Alberta system, that that storm chase, and I had kind of seen that there were hints that there was going to be se- severe weather in Alberta on that on Canada Day on that Saturday, even the day before. Uh, and so, uh, you know, as the day got closer to the to Canada Day, I started honing in on more of a target area, and I left the day before Friday, and my initial target area was. Kind of the red deer and to the southwest towards the foothills uh, towards the rocky mountains was kind of my target area so i left friday and drove uh, all the way to got to medicine hat and stayed the night in medicine hat uh, woke up saturday morning looked at again surface observations looked at weather models and to me it looked like that likely a storm the tornado was going to happen uh near olds alberta so i was driving along highway to to the north, uh, midday, you know, around lunchtime, looking off to the west towards the towards the foothills, and I could start to see the the storm starting to bubble up, uh, and I, you know, I, eventually I got to a point where okay, I, I need to go to the west and wait right here because I think it's gonna happen right here, and I was Olds, Alberta. I went to Olds, Alberta, got some lunch at a little place, uh, I think Prairie Donaire. Nice. 
uh, I had had Don Air for the first time in Nova Scotia last year chasing Fiona. So now I have this uh, kind of a love for Don Air. So how, how did the Don Air stack up in olds? It, uh, it was it was decent. Uh, it wasn't as good as the one that I had in, in uh, Nova Scotia. So, but you're, you know, we're going to hear was, from like the Donaire lobby now because you know there's like there's like a th- in our hometown of Edmonton there's like a hundred shops that fight it out for supremacy. I'm not even going to start yeah. naming them because I'm going to I'm going to make friends, but I'll make more enemies in the process of doing so. So you have lunch in Olds, and 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 what are you keeping? And so now you're you obviously you've got you've got some weather models, and, and you've got some I'm sure some apps and some tech that you have access to, but you've also got just just your gut that instinct right you're you're watching the sky you're feeling the air pressure i'm imagining well yeah 100 that right i get the olds and i've already i'm i can tell a storm's gonna happen it's just a matter of time what i didn't wasn't expecting was how rapidly things would uh, would occur so i go in to get my donair uh it's kind of a sunny skies and not real not much going on but just a little bit of bubbling of clouds off to the west i get my donair walk out of the the, the, the restaurant and all of a sudden I could see that, oh my God, like things are really going to go bonkers here. Uh, sky is dark. I could tell a big time storm was brewing off to the West. So I started driving towards it while I was eating my donair. <laughs> so everybody else is, is either fleeing the area. Uh, maybe I'm being dramatic. A lot of people are certainly taking cover. They're, you know, paying attention to the storm warnings. Uh, we all got them on our phones. That, that sort of, you know, that, that sort of mass text that goes out and everybody goes, oh my gosh, when people see when, when most, and don't, don't take offense to this, Aaron, I was going to say when most normal people, when regular people get a message like this, uh, an alert on their phone, they pay close attention. There was one down in Calgary uh, just yesterday. And we heard from our family members down there. They're in the basement per the instructions, but here you are, you're, you're, you're racing toward it uh this is granted a very civilian type question but how do you know you're not going to get swept up in this like you're driving your subaru right and 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 you're heading straight for this thing it could it could change paths and and all of a sudden you could find yourself you know 100 meters in the air right yeah well it all comes down to experience so all these storms a supercell which is generally what spawns a tornado uh they all have the similar structure you know they have a what's called a rain-free base which is the updraft area where the tornado is going to form air, warm air, moist air rises up into the storm and then it ejects out away from the storm downwind and moves that rain away so that the storm can breathe and pull in that energy. And so once you, you have a lot of experience, you've seen thousands of storms like I have. I mean, you can just look at a storm and tell where the tornado is going to happen. And in fact, the tornado was on the ground and I was reporting it on Twitter before there were even tornado warnings going out. Uh, even before the storm was producing a tornado, I tweeted out on Twitter. I was like, this is going to be a very dangerous storm very shortly. So be paying attention. Right. And then, you know, I did got a little bit of traction on the tweet, but not much. But then the tornado formed and then things just went bonkers from there. All right. We want to like we're showing people a bunch of a bunch of your footage. And it's remarkable. And, and I want to get nerdy, by the way, in a second, ask you about your tech setup and how that how that all works, too. But but uh, Johnny, we pulled a few clips here. Why don't we go here? So this this is like as all hell is breaking loose. Here he is. I got to go check on this house. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's bad, guys. It's very bad damage. Oh my God. Oh my God. That house looks okay. This looks like a farm off to the right. Oh, this house got hit. Bad. Oh my God. 
So for for people that are just listening to this, you're you're seeing basically just splintered remains of a couple of properties. This, this tornado has passed through there. What like like forty five seconds before you're there? The dust has barely settled. What's going through your mind? Is your heart beating? Like how are you feeling? You're you're obviously uh, concerned about human life. You're there to check on people's well being. Take us through that. Yeah, so as I'm driving up to the tornado right before that clip you just showed, uh, you know, I saw the tornado moving towards the highway. Uh, my, one of the things I'm doing, you asked about tech, I have a 360 camera. Actually, I have two of them mounted at the top of the car, and I'm trying to capture 360 video to where people can put on virtual reality goggles and actually experience what it's like to be right up next to one of these beasts. And to be able to get good footage, you got to get right up next to it. I mean, I was trying, I actually wish I had gotten a little bit closer, but you got to get really, really close, right? Uh, and so as I'm driving up to it, I start, see, I saw a roof go flying. I saw debris flying. So I knew it was starting to hit structures. I uh, even hear me yell like, oh, it hit something big. And, uh, you know, what's going through my mind is that at that point, it, jo- it goes from joy because for me, being right next to a tornado like that, it's like the most blissful, joyous experience of my life. Like I will drive 30 hours for these things, right? Just for that 15 minutes. Uh, sometimes it's only 30 seconds, but 15 minutes of complete, absolute joy for me. But that joy sometimes turns into a nightmare. I knew, I thought for sure I was going to find injured or even deaths from this tornado after seeing the damage that I had done. In fact, it was one of the most, I, I can't, it's hard to even put into words. Like when I was looking off to the left at the tornadoes, I'm driving up to the houses. It was like glitter, uh, sparkling. All the little bits of the farm was just churned up and swirling around. And I and actually, I'd never seen anything like that before. I've been, I've seen thousands, hundreds of tornadoes, thousands of storms, and I'd never seen it where it was like little bits of glitter just flying around. So I thought for sure I was going to find deaths or injuries. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible that that no human lives were lost uh, through the course of that storm. Obviously, some livestock was lost, and, and I know that that's a tough situation. Uh, but, but generally speaking, when you look at that swath of destruction, I mean, part of me, I imagine if that, you know, if that happens over an urban center, uh, you're talking about a completely different ballgame. We know oh, that here yeah. in Edmonton, almost 30 people killed back in 1987. Yeah, if that, this tornado would have hit a big city like Edmonton or Calgary, it would have been really, I mean, there would have been, you know, 30 deaths, maybe, maybe yeah. more than that. It would have been very, very bad. It was just, it was a violent tornado. The roar. Uh, so I've seen lots of tornadoes, right? So I can look at a tornado and get a pretty good idea of how strong it is. And I knew this one was violent. You even hear me in my video. I'm yelling. It's violent. It's a violent tornado. I could see the double inflow jets uh, as it's pulling it in air, right? I could see an inflow jet is where you see this stream right along the ground and it's moisture and dirt and debris being sucked into the vortex, turned around and then shot up into the atmosphere. And based on that, and then the roar, only the strongest, the top echelon of tornadoes have these this roar. So I knew it was, I even thought maybe it was an EF5 tornado. It crossed my mind. I didn't want to say that, but it crossed my mind right at the moment. It was maybe an EF5. Ends up being an EF4 tornado. So Eric, very violent, you, very strong. For those of us that, that don't really understand like the, the ratings or the how it all works, uh, when you said, I almost wanted to call it an EF5, but I didn't, is, is that like rating a restaurant a perfect 10 type thing? Like, Take us through the difference. Yeah, so there's the, the rating goes from EF0 to EF5. The majority of your tornadoes are going to be EF2 and lower. Uh, an EF0 tornado might break some tree limbs. 
an EF1 tornado start doing damage to a home, maybe ripping some shingles off, you know, ripping off siding. Uh, EF2 tornado is going to start destroying a, a house, breaking down walls, and the, maybe ripping the roof off. And then you start getting into the EF3, EF4, EF5 tornadoes. EF3 can destroy a home, but maybe not completely. It leaves some walls standing. That's why they say get into a, a middle part of your home, you know, into a bathroom with no windows, because a lot of times an EF3 tornado will just knock down outer walls and leave that bathroom, those bathroom walls standing. Now, when you get into the EF4s, the violent tornadoes, EF4s and EF5s, an EF4 is going to be total devastation to a home, knock all the, the walls down. Uh, this tornado rolled a combine like 50 meters. And, uh, you know, you're very rare that you're going to have an EF4, EF5 tornado. And then the EF5s are the most rare. In fact, uh, there's only been one in Canadian history. 2007, Eli Manitoba was an F5 tornado. Uh, and there has not been any other F5 or EF5 tornadoes in Canada since then. This one, an EF4, uh, was only the second EF4 uh, in Alberta. The strongest uh, tornado since 1987, Black Friday Edmonton tornado, was an EF4. And I think the last EF4 in Canada was in 2013. So, again, a rare tornado. An EF5 tornado is going to sweep everything away. All you're going to be left with is maybe a slab, uh, and, and that's it. There will be nothing left. That debris will be you know, just ripped away from the home site that was destroyed. And it's actually hard to get an EF5 tornado uh, because the enhanced Fujita scale is based on damage indicators and damage indicators are for example an ef5 tornado is going to need to hit a well-built home a home that's been bolted down very well to its foundation down to the ground and bolts essentially get sheared off and blown away uh, as an example an ef5 tornado in joplin missouri was able to pick up those those concrete blocks in a parking lot that when you drive up to uh, that are flat to the ground, so wind can't even get underneath them. They weigh several hundred pounds. And in Joplin, Missouri, they picked up these blocks and blew them away. Uh, and then even moved a hospital, which is usually a very, very well-built, you know, fortress. It moved the hospital off its foundation, and that that uh, that hospital had to be destroyed and rebuilt. So EF5 is very, very rare event. Uh, 201 plus mile per hour tornado. It's 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 just hard to wrap your mind around it. Uh, back on on May the eighth, and people can check our podcast archives, check out our YouTube channel if they want to watch it. We talked to uh, Mike Flanagan. Uh, Mike's I think widely regarded as as one of Canada's most in the know wildfire experts, and he was talking to us about the 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 real intensity of the early wildfire season, and and he talked about the impact of climate change, and 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 really interesting insight for anybody that wants to watch that. That was on May the eighth. You've been storm chasing for years uh your sample size obviously isn't 2000 years on planet earth but based on what you've seen over the past while in, in your estimation is storm activity getting worse are they getting more intense more frequent what are your observations uh my observations are that things are becoming more frequent uh especially when you get into like tropical cyclones which really uh so one of the things with warming is that warming that air that's creating the environment the atmosphere to be more moisture laden and hurricanes really feed off that warm moist air and you know i've been chasing for 20 years over 20 years uh and in the last 10 years uh, i've been in several major hurricanes and, you know, if you look at the, the statistics, like it's more major hurricanes than previously you would have seen. 
you know, in that ten-year time span, right? But again, it's it's a small sample size. But to me, my anecdotal evidence is that storms are becoming more frequent. The more powerful ones are becoming more frequent. But it's not necessarily making storms any more intense. It's just those intense storms may be happening more frequently, right? You know, we're bound by the the laws of physics here on Earth, which is a constant. And you're you know you're not going to get a, a hurricane that's producing thousand mile per hour winds, for example, uh, because of, of climate change, right? Mm. But you may see more frequent Category Five, Category Four hurricanes. You may be seeing more frequent tornadoes, tornado outbreaks, and things of that nature. Um, we're talking to Aaron Jajak, professional storm chaser, joining us right now from uh, Manitoba. Although I guess with you, you could be anywhere uh, over the next number of days, depending on how it goes. Hang tight. In just a second, we want uh, your take on this. You, you filmed a, a remarkable hailstorm in Roswell, New Mexico. But we'll play some of that video. People won't believe it. We get to watch your windshield get blown to smithereens in real time. Uh, it's one of the wildest videos that, I, that I've ever seen. Uh, and then we'll get to some of the questions that are being uh, submitted from Real talkers that are tuning in live on our YouTube stream. It's professional storm chaser Aaron J. Jack. Uh, this conversation is presented by Real Talk sponsors like Complete Care Restoration. Uh, there are only sponsor that hopes that you never have to call them. Uh, that's 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 their wish. They hope to never meet any of you. No offense. Uh, but if you do find yourself in the gut punch situation of, of experiencing fire or flood damage in particular, this time of year, there's entire communities that are dealing with this, these rebuilds, uh, trying to get your lives back in order, get that number one investment of yours, your home, back into how it looked before the disaster struck. You're going to want to get in touch with Complete Care Restoration. Chances are, if you check out the small print in your insurance policy, you can choose who you want to do the work. So, if life happens like this, maybe you found mold or asbestos during a renovation, check them out online at completecarerestoration.ca or give them a call at 780-454-0776. If your construction project is a little different, maybe your family's just looking to find some more efficient or livable space. Maybe you'd love to boost up the appeal of your property. Maybe you're looking to turn uh, maybe a former bedroom into a new office or maybe a guest area. Or maybe you're looking to get your garage finally working for you so you can get those rakes and hoses off the floor and up into a custom area where they belong. Nobody does it better than California closets. Now, most people think of them for custom closets and storage solutions for the entire home, but they're doing amazing work in garages. You can check it out online at californiaclosets.ca. Get some inspiration from some of the design ideas you see there, but the best move you can make is to do what we did, and that's request a free consultation. Talk to their team about your priorities and let them come up with a fully custom solution. It's California Closets, online at californiaclosets.ca. And before we get back to our professional storm chaser, I want to remind you, if you're a decision maker in Alberta or Saskatchewan, whether it's for a, a big business, maybe it's a ma and pa retail location, or maybe you're working for a municipality. If you're in charge of coming up with a game plan for garbage and recycling collection, take two seconds today to check out localenvironmental.ca. They're working in Alberta and Saskatchewan, doing better than what those big multinationals are doing. Better service, better prices, and more support for local causes. You can check out how they can help you today by visiting localenvironmental.ca. 
you can find Aaron J. Jack on Instagram. You can find him on Twitter. You can find him, of course, on YouTube. And we encourage you to subscribe to his channel. You'll find some mind-blowing videos, including this one, Aaron. You got to tell us about this. Let's let's throw to this uh, this audio. Uh, what you're about to hear is softball-sized hail, absolutely blowing up Aaron's windshield. Here he is from New Mexico. So whether you're watching this on YouTube or listening on the podcast, you can almost feel this happening. And Aaron, I guess you're experiencing your vehicle taking on some pretty significant damage in, in real time. Is this, a, is this a gut punch at the time or in a sick and twisted way? Or are you kind of totally enjoying this? Oh, yeah, this was awesome. This is one of my best chases of that year. Uh, my window was already kind of beat up. The windshield had a couple of cracks in it already. So uh, I, eventually, I usually, you know, th- that's my favorite time of year is when I can finally punch into a big core and just blow it out completely. <laughs> so how do you, so a hailstorm like that, when, when you're sort of, I guess, heading into that storm, when you're chasing a tornado, there's the visual. There's the tornado. A hailstorm is just kind of chaos all around. How do you approach that differently? Yeah, so, you know, the difference is, uh, you know, there's a little bit more of a caution with chasing the tornadoes. You're trying to make sure uh, you're getting as close as possible, but keeping yourself a safe distance away. Uh, with the hailstorm, you're just driving right into the meat, the most dangerous part of the storm. And, uh, you know, and, and eventually... You know, when you're chasing a supercell like that, you get to a point where you don't think the storm is going to produce a tornado, and now it's time to go get a different, the mo- a different money shot, if you will. And in this case, it was blowing myself up in the in the hail core. <laughs> yeah, a- absolutely unbelievable stuff. Um, is it for, for you and your, you know, you you guys come, you sort of have this storm chasing family. Uh, is this something you guys do together? Is it the couple that chases storms together stays together, or are you oftentimes intrigued by? different things and, and oftentimes on opposite sides of the continent. Yeah, no, we definitely uh, storm chase together. You know, don't take the kids unless it's a, a weak system and we're just going to look at pretty clouds and stuff and maybe a little bit of lightning. But in fact, uh, one of my biggest tornado intercepts was uh, August 7th, 2020 in Manitoba uh, near the town of Scarth, Manitoba. And my wife was with me. She was nine months pregnant and we intercepted. You can find it on YouTube. Uh, one of the most beautiful tornadoes that we had ever seen that I had ever seen. And uh, two days later, uh, my, my wife gave birth to our son jet and we're sitting in the, in the hospital and, and this made big news. It was all across Canada. Again, it was another uh, event that was all around the world <clears throat> and we're sitting in the hospital and watching, watching myself doing these interviews on the, on the TV there. <laughs> it's gotta be pretty cool when, uh, when a video gets a million hits when, when people when when something that you're working on when your passion uh really connects with somebody and resonates with people and and in a circumstance like to bring this full circle back to the didsbury tornado you you uh, at at personal risk to yourself uh are, are taking people along and 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 actually uh providing in a way a real service for folks that 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 i mean technology and social media allows now something we couldn't have even imagined even 10 years ago yeah absolutely and that's you bring up a very good point because you know i I mentioned earlier about the joy the blissfulness like it's what i love to do i love being next to these storms but 
one of the main roles out there as a storm chaser is being those eyes on the ground. I mentioned that the storm was producing a tornado before it was ever tornado warned. And the reason that that is, is, is because radar is a, you know, it's a, you've seen these radar stations maybe, and they, it's a beam that goes out at an angle and looks up into the storm. So the further away you are from the storm, the higher up that the radar is looking and being able to see. So meteorologists at Environment Canada, National Weather Service in the United States, they can't see with radar what's happening at the surface. So it comes to storm chasers like me to report out to the public and to these weather services of what's happening. And like I said, I'm live tweeting when I'm uh, in the field. I'm also live streaming on YouTube when I'm in the field. So the goal is that hopefully people that live there that are in these what I call danger zones will come, they'll tune in and they'll be able to see what's happening. You know, you get an alert on your phone. And a lot of times people will ignore these warnings. And it's a big problem in Canada, especially uh, in the United States. Tornado warnings are very localized. They're very good at getting the exact track of where that tornado is at. In Canada, they haven't honed it in as well. And sometimes you get half the province is tornado warned. Then the tornado might be, you know, three, four hundred kilometers away and they're getting tornado warnings. And you get what's called uh, warning fatigue. You know, mm. people have seen. They've gotten tons of warnings and they've never seen a tornado. So then they stop ignoring them like, oh, it's not going to happen to me. And then eventually, you know, it does happen to people it, you know, all the time that, that that that's the case that happens where mm -hmm. they they're used to ignoring it and then they get hit by a tornado. So it's very important to be on the ground there trying to provide that ground through those visuals. You know, if people see a monster tornado like that Didsbury tornado. They're really going to take it a lot more seriously than if they just get a warning on their phone. Yeah, no kidding. Well said. Uh, on our live chat, uh, Cinderella says uh, one of uh, their colleagues actually lost their house in that tornado, the one that we're watching right now, your footage. Um, it says we've been going out to help them clear debris from the fields. I can't even imagine the debris was just I, even just watching it. And I'm, I've been mesmerized. I think of your of your million views on that video. I think I'm like 100,000 of them. Uh, <laughs> but it's just it's amazing to see like huge pieces of well, you don't know what it is, but it looks like plywood and car parts and and, and you know, barn roofing and like all kinds of stuff just swirling around. The power of, of nature is just absolutely wild. Lauren says yeah. we, we marvel at the power of nature. It wouldn't be possible without people like Aaron. Uh, what were you just going to say? Well, if you look at that clip, as I'm driving up to the house, uh, before you even see the trees that are snapped in half, the homes that are destroyed, one of the uh, significant uh, telltale signs that I knew was also was violent. And now watch here, you'll see a dark path going through the vegetation. That's ground scouring. The tornado was so powerful, it ripped the ground, the, the vegetation, the dirt right out of the ground right there. You see that black path Wow. Right through the middle of the screen. That's the path that the Vortex took. Jillian says, uh, incredible footage. This guy is so talented. Uh, how about this, Aaron? She says, this is what I mean when I tell my students they can do and be anything. How cool is that as a compliment? Um, one question here from Tony. Um, I, I don't remember the reference. I'm going to have to go back and rewatch Twister. But uh, Tony says, is there an actual Dorothy device? Is that a real thing that can like read tornadoes or was that just Hollywood? Yeah, from Twister, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. From Twister. Yeah. So I will want to mention one thing about Twister. You mentioned it earlier. In fact, Twister is one of the things that actually kicked off my passion for these tornadoes. I was already interested in weather, just didn't know that you could storm chase. And then I saw Twister and it just blew my mind. Right? I'm like, that's what I want to do with, with the rest of my life. So, but yeah, uh, there are uh, devices, scientific devices. I've actually been a part of some teams that we've deployed uh, some devices into a tornado. In fact, we 
Uh, one of my friends, a well-known storm chaser, uh, has an armored vehicle, and we had rockets uh, mounted at the top of it. And we launched a rocket into a tornado in Kansas in 2019, another EF4 tornado. And it shot this rocket up with a payload device that captured real-time data down to a down to the armored vehicle. Uh, there's a Canadian in Alberta. Uh, he's on uh, Twitter. You can find him. His uh, Twitter handle is at Chase and Spin. He de developed, he's a brilliant guy, developed the scientific device. And we were getting real-time readings using radio transmission of data inside the tornado while it was happening. So cool, man. Uh, we're really grateful that you were able to find time to talk to us. We knew it was, uh, no pun intended, up in the air because uh, at any moment you could be out on assignment. The good news now is hopefully you got a few thousand more followers, you know, people that are going to be paying attention to whatever the next storm is uh, that you're chasing. It's Aaron J. Jack. We've been hanging out with here live from Manitoba. You can find him online, all of his Twitter handles, uh, Instagram as well, at Aaron J. Jack. Thanks for this, my man. Stay safe out there. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. And uh, I appreciate if anyone subscribes. It's tough being a storm chaser out there. But it's really expensive. I think gas is like $7 a gallon here in Canada right now. So any support you guys provide to my channel keeps me out there in the field. Yeah, Aaron, hey, be, be shameless for a second. Like, how do you, how do you, so professional storm chasers, so do you have like a Patreon or, or people can send you this, the kind of the tips on YouTube or how, how do you monetize it? Yeah, people can become members on my channel. And that's probably the best way because sometimes you run into problems. Uh, I just recently had some issues with YouTube demonetizing my video and uh, removing earnings from yeah. my video because they said I had invalid views, which I didn't. And so it's really tough. I, I've had contracts with weather companies, uh, you know, where they're you know, they're basically sponsoring me to be out there. Uh, but right now I'm in the process of actually looking for a new sponsorship or uh, something, some kind of gig that's going to help me stay out there doing this and not put me back into a cubicle in corporate America or corporate Canada. No, I feel like I feel like you're the type of guy that needs to be a far, as far away from cubicles as possible. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I was miserable. I thought I, I was like, what's the point of living being in a cubicle? <laughs> a lot of people are listening to this from cubicles. If that's a fit for you, great. It just doesn't strike me as a fit for Aaron. Uh, exactly. Thanks, pal. It's, it's, a, you know, it's a pleasure to call you a new friend, and we'll continue to watch what you're doing with great interest. Thanks, man. I appreciate yeah, it. You got it. Thanks. That's Aaron Jack, professional storm chaser. How cool is that? We're having a hard time kind of taking our pick of which footage we want to use. Because I spent <laughs> like so hours. Much of this it. channel is wild. We didn't even get. I don't even know why. It, I mean, I, I do know why because Mike Lake's sitting in our green room, ready to go, and the show must go on. And, yeah. But like, we didn't even talk about blizzards. No, you should see the, like his blizzard footage on his channel. If, if you're watching us on YouTube, I'll just throw some up here to, to check out as we're as we're talking. But like, this is in South Dakota. But like, mm -hmm. he, he goes to places. I guess it's a shout out for Subaru as well. He's he drives a Subaru, <laughs> and uh, that thing obviously gets him to wherever he needs to go, uh, including places where you wouldn't catch most people. Uh, just an amazing calling. Yeah, watching that footage, you feel like you're right there. I don't know. I don't know if I could do something like that. I don't know if I could be that close. Heading for a tornado, yeah. heading into a hailstorm. And I'm sure you become an expert after a while, but they're still so unpredictable. Like, oh, for sure. could turn on you any yeah, second. So. For sure. Doing what he loves. Uh, that's Aaron J. Jack. In just a second, we're going to talk politics. Uh, appreciate Mike Lake, who's uh, going to be joining us in studio in just a second. These conversations happen because of Real Talk sponsors like our great friends at Friesen Brothers. Number one, I want to remind you that as August 1st approaches, the first day of the month... 
you can save 15% off grocery purchases of $75 or more. That's a big deal for families on a budget. Plus, they've got their watermelon fest coming up, including a watermelon eating contest. This is one that all of us can get behind. Wouldn't you agree? You can find out more details on their website, Friesen.com. That's F-R-E-S-O-N. They're also celebrating Grocery Heroes Day. That's coming up tomorrow. You can find details on their website. So much fun getting out on the golf course yesterday. Beautiful ranch, golf, and country club. You know where we have our Real Talk Golf Classic with a couple of our amazing golf tournament sponsors, great friends of Real Talk as well, the leadership team at Apex Automation. I said, what's the number one thing you want me to remind Real Talkers about when I let them know about our golf date tomorrow, I mean, aside from their smooth swings and birdie putts, they said, let them know we're hiring. We're looking for the best and brightest engineers in Canada, including engineers of the future. You know, those of you that are working towards your PNG, maybe you're graduating from a polytechnic school here in Alberta, maybe U of A, U of C, UBC, universities in Saskatchewan, Manitoba, they want to talk to you if you have interest in working in oil and gas, potash mining, robotics, autonomous vehicles, brewing, you name it, they automate it at apexautomation.ca. You know who else is hiring is our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy looking for installers right now who want to work in Alberta and BC. They've got a head office right here in Edmonton, a beautiful one. They've just expanded another office down in Calgary. Congratulations. And a big one in Kamloops, too. It means that they're one of Western Canada's busiest solar installers. And you can start your renewable energy journey today by getting a free quote online at kubienergy.ca. And a shout out to... Pathways Alliance. Interesting conversation yesterday with Liberal Minister Randy Boisneau. We're going to be talking to Conservative MP Mike Lake in 30 seconds from now. A support for this podcast and the following message comes from Pathways Alliance. Oil sands operations contribute significant carbon emissions in Canada. So the six largest companies are working together and with governments to take strides on the path to net zero from their operations. Part of their plan includes developing a proposed carbon capture and storage network by 2030. It's going to be one of the world's largest. You can learn more online right now at pathwaysalliance.ca. Our next guest is a veteran member of parliament and a fierce uh, community contributor. We're going to be talking about a national framework for autism in just a second, uh, but let me get the welcome out of the way, and it's a special welcome always when it happens in studio. Uh, Conservative Member of Parliament, Mike Lake. It's nice to see your face. Thanks for joining us here. It's, uh, it's great to be here. It's tough to follow the tornado guy. How wild uh, is that? That was, uh, that was pretty uh, pretty intense, and just watching those videos, I think he's specifically grown his hair out for maximum <laughs> impact on his videos, <laughs> so agree, uh, as right? it's like flowing in the background, I don't think I could quite have the same uh, uh, impact nor, nor would I, uh, I think, want to be chasing those tornadoes. No, uh, man. And I love when he introduces himself. He's like, this is Storm Chaser Aaron J. Jack. And his hair is just going wild. And, yeah, amazing stuff. Um, you're riding Edmonton with Tasco. I guess that's it's not, not necessarily like Dids, Didsbury and where that tornado was, certainly south of where you were at. Uh, quite a ways south. Uh, I drove through there, though, on the way to Stampede uh, down to a, uh, um, just last week after the fact. And uh, the cleanup's underway, but there's still, it's, it was pretty significant, obviously. And, uh, 
Um, thankfully, uh, not more more damage than there was given the intensity of it. Right? Yeah, it's been a, it's been kind of a wild summer for for weather events and the wildfire season. Obviously, earlier and we got this smoke kind of hanging overhead, and um, it is prompting conversation about climate change. Um, we didn't in this interview with Aaron draw a direct line between climate change and tornadoes, but he said that anecdotally he's noticed that, that there has been a change in storm activity. We're hearing the same from wildfire experts, and, and so you've got the 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 scientific conversations around climate change. And, and then there's the politics of it as well. And, and governments grappling with the best way to set meaningful targets. We're talking about net zero targets. We'll be talking to Canada's environment minister on the show tomorrow. Take us into your perspective as, as an opposition MP, the, the conversations around climate change in Canada, obviously the big one comes down to how we price carbon and, and the jumping up of the carbon tax on, on July 1st. A lot of people have been talking about it over the past couple of weeks. Well, and and uh, listened to the podcast yesterday and, and uh, conversations around that. I mean, I think obviously our position is that that, uh, that carbon tax increase needs to be paused. Um, you know, certainly as you know, relates to the weather events that we're talking about and, and, uh, and the smoke that we're talking about. I think that we need to understand more than just anecdotally what might or might not be happening, right? It, you know, th- those are important things. Um, a lot of people don't realize that uh, in years where we have significant uh, forest fires, my understanding uh, from talking to folks is that about a third of our emissions in Canada come from forest fire smoke in those really bad years. So um, something that we, you know, that any government and governments around the country are going to have to deal with from a quality of life standpoint and, and uh, you know, obviously a current impact forest management, those kind of things. But as it relates to the economic stuff, um, you know, the, the, the carbon tax, uh, we believe, and I personally believe is a, is a tax plan more than anything else, more than an environmental plan. And, uh, the cost of living is, um, is drastically, uh, increasing in this country. I think that we, it's fair to say that we have a crisis right now uh, on our hands in terms of the cost of living, the cost of housing and other things you see it across the country. And, uh, now is the absolute wrong time to be introducing a second carbon tax. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. Like the, the, you know, sort of the, the two different perspectives, both of them very valid, uh, people who's, who's, and, and I don't think you have to pick a lane on this one. I think you can be concerned about the environment and you can be concerned about the economy. I think that that is possible. And, and most politicians, you would hope, have that on their radar. Um, but we talked to pundits on the show, right? We talked to Jody Vance and Linda Steele and Charles Adler, all three. I've asked, I asked them point blank, would you pause, would you hit pause on, on pumping up the carbon tax? And, and all three said yes. And we asked Minister Boasno yesterday, and you could tell even as I didn't even get all the way through the question, he's already shaking his head no. People can check out that interview yesterday, wherever you get your podcast or on YouTube. Uh, Randy Boasno, Minister of Tourism, Associate Minister of Finance, talking about that July 1st increase. Uh, people estimated it to be about 14 cents at the pumps. That's how most people can, in real world dollars and cents process, what that increase looks like. He says it's got to be a straight line. You, you can't pause climate action to to respond to where the economy's at. Uh, how would a conservative party or a conservative government navigate those factors? What do you think is a better solution? Well, we've, we've said that uh, technology rather than taxes is the way to go. I mean, the reality is, and, and you know, we're, we're uh, living in a, you know, in a province that has contributed significantly to uh, the quality of life of Canadians through, uh, you know, through resources and, and agriculture and, you know, many other avenues. The reality is the world is using oil and gas right now. Um, and, uh, and, and we've 
we've stopped selling it to some degree. We've we've uh, we've got a government right now that's decided to put the brakes on in a world where the that is that continues to use oil and gas. Um, the revenues from that oil and gas uh, play a significant role in funding quality of life in Canada, in funding our healthcare systems, in funding our social services systems, our, our education systems across the country. And uh, you know, we believe that uh, while the world's using oil and gas, we should sell Canadian oil and gas. No one is more dedicated to clean production than Canadians. And then let's invest in technology that we can export around the world to lead the world in wherever the world goes next. You've been working on this uh, or sitting on this environment committee. Yeah. And, and uh, this was, uh, I think we're going to show a clip from April 12th of this year. So this is what this is a few months ago. Um, John, if we can load that one up. This, uh, so we'll be talking, as mentioned, to Environment Minister Stephen Gobo tomorrow. Uh, this was uh, Mike Lake, our guest in studio uh, back on April 12th. Is oil coming from Saudi Arabia and Nigeria subject to the same rigorous regulations around upstream and downstream emissions? as oil coming from Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Newfoundland and Labrador? Uh, thank you for the question. I have, as you know, the Canadian Energy Regulator falls under Minister Wilkinson, so natural resources. I don't have the data that you're referring to in so front of me. So my question is just a straight up yes or no, because you're the Minister of the Environment. Is oil coming from Saudi Arabia and Nigeria subject to the same rigorous emissions on upstream and downstream emissions as oil coming from Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Newfoundland and Labrador? I don't know by heart the regulations or legislation in Saudi Arabia. Okay, I would imagine that, that Canada's are more stringent. But I, I, I can't, I, I don't have any material be, to, yeah, the to, to compare there. The rules Canada has applies to oil coming from Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Newfoundland and Labrador would be more strict than the oils than the, than the rules Canada applies to oil coming from Nigeria and Saudi Arabia. Canada's own rules. We treat our oil more toughly than we treat foreign oil coming over here. I, I think the answer is yes to that. Well, clearly. I think I mean, as you can imagine, well, we can't impose. I mean, it's very difficult to impose our bodies of laws and regulations to other nations, just like right. no, we would uh, find agreed. it difficult for agreed. other nations to impose their I'm gonna move, bodies. I'm going to move on. Um, his, his answer there, or non-answer, I guess, in a sense, isn't, isn't relevant to the situation. The government does control, in fact, you know, in 2017, when, when, uh, um, when TransCanada walked away from Energy East, they walked away because of a change at the, uh, you know, in regulations that required an accounting of upstream emissions. Right. If we're going to allow oil to come from countries like Nigeria and Saudi Arabia, we pick those because they're the number two and number three countries that we import oil from behind the United States. We, if we're going to allow oil to be transported by tanker to Canada and then used in Canada, bought uh, by Canada for billion dollars worth, we can certainly say uh, we can't regulate what the rules are in, in Nigeria and Saudi Arabia, but we can certainly say you have to account for the things in the same way as we say companies need to account for it in Alberta and Saskatchewan, Newfoundland, and Labrador. We can say we're not taking the oil unless you account for upstream emissions, just like we do for Alberta oil. Mm -hmm. It's for me, like I'm not a, an expert. We try to talk to as many experts as we possibly can about, you know, people talking about pipeline expansion and they'll, you know, some will argue that we need to expand our pipeline network even further to meet global demand for oil over the next number of decades. Others will say, well, we're not even using the pipelines we have to capacity. But if you look at the numbers, 
numbers. Uh, Alberta's outlook's pretty good right now for oil and gas production. Do you, do you think that the reality of that is is lost in the mix of, of all the saber rattling and political posturing around pipelines? The fact that the oil and gas industry is actually doing pretty good in Alberta right now. Look, if you take a look broadly at the Canadian economy, we're running tens of billions of dollars in deficit. We've taken on more debt than at any time in Canadian history. Um, we have to we have to take steps to deal with the economic impact of that. And one of the ways that you can take steps is to increase revenues. One of the ways that we can increase revenues is to, instead of importing $14 billion in, in, uh, in oil, as we did in the last year that was recorded, 2021, we could be selling Canadian oil. Right, we imported another 16 billion in in, uh, in refined oil products that year, so 30 billion dollars in total. In fact, in 2021, we imported 400 million dollars in refined oil product from Russia mm-hmm. in 2021, the last recorded year. That, that we, you know, instead of selling Canadian oil. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know that Canadians would have an appetite to be importing oil from Russia right now. But yeah, most recent numbers, four hundred million. How do you? Is it okay with you if we swerve all the map here a little bit? Go, what, yeah. what, what's your, what's your assessment of, of Canada's involvement in Ukraine right now? I'm paying attention to some of the headlines. I believe that that conflict is past the five hundred day mark right now, and 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 some reporters on the ground in Kiev and elsewhere are, are saying that you know Ukrainians themselves are saying they're concerned that the Western world is starting to lose interest in that war there, in that conflict there. How would you assess Canada's involvement in, in Ukraine, including sanctions well, against Russia? Well, I, th- I mean, I, I think that you just touched on the, the key point that we can't lose interest. And I think that in this, the, the, the environment that we're in, the social media environment, the political environment, I think too easily, it's easy to move from one thing to another, whatever it is that's uh, drawing attention. Um, you know, it's what's happening there is is very significant. I think that there's a, a you know, a, a broad conversation uh, that we can have around, um, you know, our role in the international community broadly, our role in NATO of course, uh, you know, that's been been uh, a conversation that we've had. Um, the prime minister recently um, saying it sounds like behind closed doors that uh, there's no appetite or no willingness for the government to even move towards uh, our NATO target. And I think those are conversations that we need to continue to have. How close of an eye are you paying on American politics right now? And I think NATO, I think of former President Trump calling everybody to the carpet and demanding more contributions or the, in, in fairness that some countries make good on their contributions. Listen, I, I, I haven't been. You know, I serve by far the largest constituency in uh, in Canada right now by population, probably twice as well. We know twice the size of uh, the national uh, national average. So um, after after nine out of ten weeks in Ottawa and uh, and everything going on there, uh, when I've come back to the constituency over the last couple of weeks, it's been uh, a lot of time spent with constituents talking about what's happening. In Canada. Do you see similarities in American politics and Canadian politics right now? In terms style. of the discourse, in terms yeah. of the style, the vibe. I think that it's yeah. I think that it's actually international in nature. I don't even think it's limited to to North America. Um, I've spoken fairly uh, you know fairly significantly about this uh, the the level of discourse and the way that we conduct our politics and you know certainly um, I think that there has to be a change. I think there's a real appetite for a change in the you know in the way that we all conduct politics right now. Yeah. I think that. Uh, you know, we're all too quick to to uh, try to push our opponents to the extremes and make our opponents seem more extreme than they are. I think on all sides that happens. And, uh, you know, I think there's 80 percent of people in the middle who, uh, you know, in, in middle from sort of middle left to middle right um, who want to see a change. And I think that, uh, you know, quite frankly, I think that there's probably a big win in in uh, any country where where uh, parties grasp that. I totally agree with you that that that's like 
to spell it out, that's this show's target market. <laughs> I, I believe that there's a silent majority in the middle that, that in some circumstances is afraid to say anything right now, afraid to speak up for, for fear. People are coming out of COVID, and I think that, that there have been a lot of damaged relationships, and I think a lot of people are still... Uh, or not still, let me just say, even just starting to realize the beginnings of the psychological impact that the, the COVID had on them. And I just feel like the discourse seems to be more poisonous. I feel like politics and the strategy is more poisonous. I just, I look all around and, and, and I sort of, to use the storm metaphor from earlier, I hope the dust settles on it, but I don't know that I find reason for optimism there. Do you have optimism that politics can get back to being decent again? I, I always have optimism now. I don't think it's just politicians. I think we're in a new a new world where, you know, social media has opened up conversations. Everybody now yeah. seems to be coming to every conversation with talking points. It's not just politicians mm-hmm. coming with their bullet points. It's uh it's everyone coming to every conversation. But it's not, you know, this isn't only a new issue. It takes on a new uh, sort of context with the social media world that we're in. And, and of course, but Eisenhower, I think back, uh, you know, what, six decades ago or something talked about uh, talked about the middle of the road being all of the usable space, the extremes right and left being in the gutters, right? That was yeah. the way Eisenhower talked about it back uh, many, many decades ago. And so uh, maybe it's not quite as different as we think it is. I wish I could. I think it was maybe Ken. I wish I could remember who it was, but someone in our live chat yesterday, we were talking um, you knew I was going to, I mentioned it to you ahead of time, bring up green shirt guy at the Calgary Stampede, but, but uh, this guy that managed to, to get some photos of some pretty prominent politicians, including Alberta's premier and, and your party's leader, Pierre Poliev. Someone on our show, as this guy starts ripping Poliev after, he's pissed off at Daniel Smith and Poliev now. He calls the leader of Canada's conservatives a leftist. Uh, he's upset, I guess, that Poliev apologized for the photo. And I said, I said, on what planet is Pierre Poliev a leftist? And, and I think it was Ken in our live chat said, when you're that far on the right side of the ditch, the whole road is on the left. How bad does something like that, that photo, hurt the image of the party or hurt the image of the conservative movement? Look, it's it, we're in an era right now where... Anybody can grab the spotlight at any time. And so it winds up, you wind up in a situation where, let's face it, someone with a t-shirt can show up, pick your t-shirt, pick your phrase on a t-shirt, whatever it is, can show up at any event. And I, I listened to the conversation that you had with Randy yesterday. I, I didn't agree with, uh, you know, with where you went. I, I think, I think by and large, if you're thinking about a political world where you're at an event with, you know, thousands of people, hundreds of people, whatever the case is, um, you know, you don't look at every context of every, you know, every person that's coming to take a picture with you. It's like you get a lineup of one after another, after another, after another. And uh, people can say, well, the staffer should have been paying more attention. But I know in my world, when I'm having a conversation with constituents in an event or something like that, you know, if my staff are around, oftentimes, you know, someone approaches us and has an immigration issue they want to talk about or a, a CRA issue or something like that. My staff are always attuned to what folks are needing in that environment. And you're not always paying attention to every single T-shirt that somebody might be wearing. I think the problem, I think we've got a broad, broader problem that we need to talk about in society where, you know, right now, someone showing up at an event with a T-shirt or a hat or, you know, whatever it might be, uh, or, or in some other way, can just immediately capture the national media attention, mm-hmm. right? It, you know, for whatever it is that they're, ever whatever point they're trying to make. And I think that, you know, in the in the world that we're in, with the massive you know social media impact and audiences people have, and you know whatever the case is, um, we just 
Like we can't we can't go down a road where we just chase after the most you know controversial thing that we see on social media in in the day. Because what we're doing is we're just seeding ground to whatever agenda anybody has. And it doesn't matter who that person is. It doesn't matter how many people are following them. The more controversial the agenda, the, you know, the more we're talking about it and the less we're talking about things like the economy and the real crisis that we're in economically well, right now or things. our, our, our like, crime issue, the safety of our streets right now, which is something that we really need to be talking about right yeah, now. Yeah, um, I, was, I was lamenting that during the, the Alberta, the provincial election, the recent campaign where I just felt like not to say that some of the issues weren't relevant. Um, you know, Daniel Smith's conversation with Arthur Pavlovsky is relevant. Uh, the comments from, from some candidates and some writing were relevant, but they were driving on such a short campaign period. They, they were driving the public attention away from issues, whereas if you would say to somebody, where does the NDP or the UCP stand on the curriculum rewrite, which is significant, or maybe more fulsome talk on an Alberta pension plan or the future of policing or like what have you, whatever, uh, you know, uh, universal basic income or child care plans. Or, you know, people would like to know what's Alberta's position on national pharmacare, how they play ball with the fence. I mean, these are like off the top of my head. We could come up with a hundred of these. And we were talking about like virtually none of them um, for, for probably the better part of the campaign period. And that's not to say that some of the other situations didn't deserve attention and commentary and clarification. Um, but uh, but I do agree. I think, that, you know, and in, in, in this show, like we'll get blowback for having Randy Boston on yesterday and then we'll get blowback from different people for having you on. You'll get blowback from some people for coming on this show and others will applaud. Some are applauding in the live chat right now saying it's great to seeing you participate. Great to see you here. Um, I, 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 I remain steadfast in, in my resolve that this can be a place where we can have these conversations where people that voted for different political parties can talk about issues that matter to them and potential solutions. You know, Ryan, we're, we're becoming a society, though, that's afraid to have conversations. Yeah, I agree. And, and that's a real challenge for us. Our democracy is not going to be any stronger if we can't have conversations or if we refuse to have conversations simply because we're afraid to have conversations. So um, I'll tell you, you know, from a political standpoint, we want more people to get politically engaged, right? But over the years, I've noticed you know, I'll obviously door knock a lot in my own writing. My writing's pretty conservative uh, part of the country. So you'll go out and you'll get a lot of uh, a lot of uh, election signs. But, you know, I've gone door knocking in uh, in the university area, for example, for conservative candidates or downtown for conservative candidates. You'll talk to somebody that's every bit as enthusiastic a conservative supporter as as in my constituency. And you'll ask them, do you want a lawn sign? Oh, I can't put a lawn sign up in my neighborhood. My neighbors, you know, for fear of what their neighbors would think. Right. And I suspect that in part of my constituency, the same thing would happen if you're an NDP candidate or a liberal candidate mm -hmm. in our area, right? We, we can't be afraid to talk about politics. On one side, I think that we have sort of this tendency towards extremes that's amplified on one side, but then you've got a lot of folks who aren't, who are afraid to have a conversation at all. So, it, you know, we've got to, these are conversations that we, we, we have to start driving. In 2021, to give people an idea, you, you talk about you live in a pretty conservative riding. Uh, you won with like 66, 67 percent of the vote, uh, Edmonton, Wetaskiwin, which is which is huge. Um, and so, so here, here's the rub. Here's the question, and this is what we'll debate with political scientists and experts and commentators all the way up to the next federal election. And, and that is, how do the conservatives win in areas where they're not currently winning? You would never admit this, but you probably don't have to door knock at all in your riding. You probably don't have to campaign at all, and no politician wants to say that on the record but that's a fact um but 
there will be some fierce fights in, uh, you know, parts of Vancouver, as if I need to tell you, you know, obviously in the Maritimes and in, in greater Toronto and that, that type of a thing. Um, you've, your party's had a new leader for a while now that sort of new car smells wearing off a little bit. We see his image evolving. We see all these things happening as, as you know, the opposition kind of starts to gear up for, for the next campaign. Uh, how do the Conservatives win in areas where they're not currently holding seats? What do you think is the key? You know, I think that, uh, I mean, we've got to work hard. We've got to continue to reflect what Canadians are thinking in terms of uh, in terms of our messaging. We've got, as a leader, one of the strongest communicators, I think, in the House of Commons. And, uh, you know, I think as a team, we need to communicate that we care about, that we have our eye on the issues that uh, are important to Canadians. So, you know, in, in my roundtables in Edmonton, Wetaskiwin, I imagine that many of the conversations are similar to the conversations that are happening in the GTA or other parts of the country conversations. In fact, probably more so around housing affordability in some of those areas, right? Um, where we just see astronomical increases in the price of housing. But I think that there's also conversations that uh, people are concerned about, you know, in regards to public safety. In regards to the fact that in virtually every city in this country right now, um, people are less likely to want to ride public transit because of, you know, things that they see every day happening in in uh, in our transit systems. I got, let, me, let me read this. I just I, I'm reading this cold on the air, which I don't typically like to do because I haven't reviewed this. But we got I just knew I, I checked my email this morning and I got an email from Garth. He's a, a real talker. You can hit me up anytime. Talk at RyanJesperson.com. The the uh, subject line is angry, scared and depressed. Um, he says, just I'm not here to engage in trash talk. That's our Friday tradition, of course, he says. But, but rather, I want to express my genuine anger and concern. In other words, he doesn't want me showboating and, and making light of his email uh, about Edmonton's high crime rate. He says, you know, with uh, 1.86 homicides per 100,000 citizens, Edmonton is now Canada's third deadliest city. Uh, he says, I'm beyond pissed off. I'm genuinely scared. When all this started, I realized I hadn't used public transit in more than a decade, uh, except for one month after I migrated uh, to Canada from Jamaica. That was in 2013, so 10 years ago. He says, what frightens me most is I come from a country that averages 45 murders per 100,000 people, but Jamaica doesn't have random stabbings or people driving around shooting strangers. He says, I know how badly not dealing with this can turn out. And if we start politicizing these issues, uh, we'll all lose. We'll lose our privilege of safety. He says, I'm really not trying to engage in another round of trash talk as a concerned Edmontonian. I just don't know of any other platform that'll give regular people like me a voice. Garth, my man. He says, that's why I'm sending this to you. Uh, he says, please do a show. Please shed light on what's driving this spike in crime. Uh, I'll let people know. Counselor Sarah Hamilton and Aaron Paquette joined us in studio. I don't know what, Johnny, about a month ago, I think it was for a great roundtable mm -hmm. on, on crime. Uh, check our archives for that. He says, but he says, I, he says, I know that I see our, our mayor calling on the feds to expedite bail reform. Uh, but I'd like to know what's different now compared to when he voted for the exact same thing that he's now denouncing. Uh, Garth says, do I get extra points for not dropping a single F-bomb? There you go, Garth. <laughs> but but that's, a, that's, a, that's a sincere person yeah. uh, sharing a sincere concern. I just, uh, we hear just that, got we, that about, night, at about midnight last night. This is every constituent roundtable I have. And we host, you know, we're very serious about uh, hosting as many constituent roundtables as we can to have every constituent have the opportunity that wants to come out, uh, have the opportunity to have a say. Um, it's one of the top issues, probably one of the top three issues that we hear is uh, the issue around public safety and bail reform. You know, 
absolutely we need to understand as 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 uh this the, the government has talked about you know the the trauma and and uh understand the impacts of mental health and all of those different things but when you have you can find a balance where you where you navigate those issues and still have real consequences for criminal behavior and uh you know there's that consequence side of things and then there's the public safety side you know it is we are just not safe you, you do a you sit down and do a um you know briefing as i've done and most members of parliament would have the chance to sit down with um police officers in their riding and maybe sit in their daily briefing and those briefings almost always when i've had the chance to be part of them involve just a recounting of who's out today it's almost like they know who is going to be committing crimes and they're watching them based on who just got out of the system. And uh, obviously that's a problem that we need to address. I think that the government's undertaken some fairly experimental policies, the liberal government over the last eight years. And we've seen as a result of those policies, a 32% increase in violent crime. And it is evident to anyone that pays attention. It doesn't matter who you voted for. We have a serious problem right now that we need to address, and we need to take serious measures to address those issues. And if it if it means calling back Parliament early to get legislation passed, as um, as the mayor has has called on, as others have called on, I think the provincial government, I think Mike Ellis called on this the other day, is uh, you know then we should be we should uh, we should get back to work and do that. Uh, I want to ask you about something before we thank you for your time. Uh, this is relatively speaking a short time ago. Um, uh, unanimous support in the House uh, for action for a national framework on autism. This is something that impacts you and your family personally. I know this is a driving force and has been through your political career uh, in, in large part because of your wonderful son, Jaden. Um, but, but talk to us about this, this development and, and what it meant to hear no nay votes when the speaker put it in front of your your 180 odd colleagues there well a few a few thoughts on that um you know you, you didn't we didn't get there by fluke it was a lot of work to kind of get to that point of unanimity it's always tricky when you're dealing with something that has the word national in it or federal in it when you're dealing with the block so uh there was a little bit of negotiation the the language was that was used was that we agreed with unanimous consent to pass the legislation um, on division, which means the bloc, we didn't force the bloc to stand up and vote one way or another because that would have been difficult for them. Our mission wasn't to you know, wedge anybody politically. Our mission was as 338 people who recognize that, uh, um, that, that there's important action that needs to be taken, that if we get this right, we start to uh, benefit as a country from including the unique skills and abilities that people with autism have and, uh, you know, and, and help to mitigate challenges, um, that we're better off as a country if we do that. And uh, took a lot of work in the background, working with, with members from all parties, particularly Michael Coteau uh, in the Liberal Party in the House of Commons, and uh, um, huge credit to Senator Husakos, a conservative yeah. in the Senate, and Peter B. A Trudeau-appointed senator in the Senate for coming together and driving it in the Senate in the first place. So one of those moments where you can feel really good that you know you you took made that extra effort to walk across importance of being in person in the House of Commons, yes. walking across the floor, um, having a conversation in the background with uh, with colleagues to try and strategize how we move it forward. And uh, thankfully, we were successful. Yeah, I, I got to fact check myself. I gave the Liberals a little more credit. I, I said 180, they, they 160 seats, I think. 
Uh, but but there you have it. Whatever, whatever the whatever the case, it's too many. <laughs> you can say it's too many. Um, but uh, yeah, no. But anyway, the point being, uh, you don't you don't see stuff like that often. And I think that when you want to talk about what the public wants to see from politicians, uh, maybe it's a little easier. I, I don't. I'm not saying you haven't put hard work into it, but it's it's a little easier for folks to get on the same page around something like this than it is maybe on how do we approach carbon pricing or you know how do we approach other more contentious issues. But uh, regardless, it's good to see that cooperation. It is. It is good to see that cooperation. And, you know, it's also important to say that as we try and drive towards more civility in the House, it doesn't mean that you don't debate things. Yeah. You know, we have some big issues facing our country right now, and we need to be fiercely debating those things. There are very different opinions on how to move forward in this country. And so you just don't have to debate everything that fiercely. Sometimes there is a little bit of common ground, but other times we want to, you know, we there are some significant issues that we need to face and take very significantly and we're going to have fierce debates in those commons you can just do it in a way that is is still civil and still respectful what do you what do you think is going to be the ballot box question next federal election oh my gosh i, th- I mean I, I don't know exactly but i would say the economy i mean the the challenges in the economy right now are not going away yeah and uh you know i think uh as we move forward you know you talk about people's mortgages coming due in a couple of years in the next two years with the higher rates and uh, i think there's going to be some real challenges with that uh um but the public safety question right now it's it's increasing in prominence we're hearing more and more about it from uh from constituents so i think that's probably those para issues uh are are front and center you know, there's still conversations probably to have about foreign interference and uh, fully understanding what happened uh, with that situation as well. So we'll we'll kind of see. I think, you know, we come back in September. The House starts sitting again uh, fairly regularly between September and December. And, uh, you know, what we're talking about today could change. But I don't see I don't see uh, the, the economy and the public safety questions uh, going away in the in the near term. Yeah, uh, that's conservative MP Mike Lake. I'm not sure. I don't know that everybody knows this about you, but, uh, you know, in, in my previous job on terrestrial radio, one of the more memorable roundtables we had was inspired by your Zoom happy hour tradition. We've done I think we've had a Zoom happy hour roundtable on Real Talk as well. If I remember, like we in have the very we had early a, a little stages. a little mini version because I think you could only do uh, four people at a time. So, but, uh, had... but yeah, it's really neat what you do. Uh, maybe in closing, let, let people know. And, and your staff is no joke about you're doing like four of these a week or something. Right now, during the summer, um, we're doing four a week. And but you're not bringing a bunch of people from like the, the the conservative constituency associations together. You're 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 putting these rosters together of people with, in some cases, very different thought processes or convictions to get together on a two hour hangout. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it, you know, it came about from this idea of not being able to have conversations. So we decided to uh, we we've we've had these very successful constituent roundtables where we get together for the whole 17 years. I've been a member of Parliament. We get together 16 people at a time and. And uh, we just find those to be incredibly productive for a couple of hours. When COVID hit, and you know we have significant stakeholders that we've worked with on a variety of issues over over many many years the autism issue international development stuff of course uh, people from conservative politics and media and other things we started to kind of recognize well now all of a sudden everybody's able to understand how to use zoom it doesn't take four hours to teach everybody how to use zoom so you can have a half hour meeting everybody knows how to use it and we just started calling interesting people, people that we thought were interesting from across the political spectrum uh, together to have, they're not broadcasts, they're just a, you know, a, a, a private kind of conversation in a sense with nine people who we think are doing important things around the world to have conversations in a, a bit of a safe zone. And, uh, and again, people from across the political spectrum, I include colleagues, of course, and we've just found it, we've, we've heard no end of 
fantastic connections that people have made who might be working in very disparate areas and uh, suddenly they meet each other on a uh, on you know one of these zoom happy hours and the next thing you know they're working together for you know the common interest uh, someone who might work in the disability world working with someone who might work in the international development world or the mental health world and uh, have never met um, follow up after a zoom happy hour and have a coffee and next thing you know they're they've got a collaboration so um, there's a we, we're losing something by not being able to have that type of conversation. And so we've, we're fortunate enough to have a platform that we can use to try and bring people together and uh, sort of convene these conversations. Well, thanks for making yourself available for this one, Mike. Really appreciate yeah. it. Uh, you're a guy that's always walked the walk when it's come to, you know, being available to, to take some questions and to kick the ball around on some ideas. And, and I know that you welcome the feedback as well. People can hit you up on your Twitter at Mike Lake MP, and they can check out your website, MikeLake.ca, to learn more about the Member of Parliament for Edmonton, Wetaskiwin. Thanks for hanging out in studio thanks Ryan yeah good, good to, to see here. you this conversation in just a second we're going to get to some details and uh Johnny and I have to, to take on a story uh, from uh, one of the most legendary burger chains in the world I'm talking about in and out burger that's coming up in just a second but we want to remind you that these conversations are presented by real talk sponsors like Eden landscaping you can find them online at uh, landscapeedmonton.ca I, I was telling you this week's been a big one for us because the all the talk and the planning and, and the going back and forth and the, the budget deliberations and everything else has now come to fruition and we have broken ground on our backyard overhaul. Uh, we're so excited to be working with the team at Eden Landscaping, a custom landscape builder. You can tell, I mean, they've got more than 20 years experience and it is evident in every single step of the journey, even the way that they drop off their equipment, even the way that they, you know, they're, they're diligent on the tiny little things like, you know, uh, you know, they're putting the, the fence back together and they're saying, hey, what's your plan with letting the dogs out to pee while we're in the backyard? And they, they, they consider all the little things and, and of course, very competent in the big stuff as well, whether it's irrigation and drainage, whether it's an outdoor kitchen you'd love to introduce, maybe you need a retaining wall finally, you can trust the team at Eden Landscaping. You'll find them online, landscapeedmonton.ca. Hey, everybody knows about the amazing work that the YWCA of Edmonton is doing, right? Well, they're absolutely thrilled to have been named the 50-50 partner for this year's K-Days. How cool is that? It's the 50-50 raffle at K-Days in Edmonton from July 21st to 30th. But here's the thing. They need you to volunteer. Yeah, that's right. They're looking for volunteers to help them out so they can make the most of this amazing opportunity funding incredibly important programs through the YWCA of Edmonton. You'd be on the volunteer team on the K-Days grounds between July 21st and 30th, just spreading the word about the 50-50. Here's the deal. You get in free. you got free transportation with ETS. They're going to hook you up with a $10 food voucher as well. Be a part of the movement for change. You can register as a volunteer by checking out ywcaofedmonton.org or just scroll down in the show notes here, whether you're listening to the podcast or checking it out on YouTube. Follow the link to support the YWCA of Edmonton. I saw an audience member earlier today saying uh, Jesper's a major missed opportunity after the Storm Chaser segment to not go directly to a Dairy Queen blizzard mention. <laughs> and I thought, that's a very fair point. That's a very good point. How did I not go from talking about snowstorms in Wyoming to Reese's Caramel Pretzel Blizzard Treats from the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park? 
Point taken. You know, summer should be one big adventure for you and your taste buds. And the new Reese's Caramel Pretzel Blizzard Treat is here to take you on the adventure of a lifetime. It's a salty, sweet thrill ride of a crunchy pretzel and peanut trail. Will you join me, Johnny? Leading to a world-famous DQ soft serve peak. Oh, yeah. Indulgent peanut butter cup cliffs. And, of course, a river of decadent caramel bliss. It's one of the summer feature blizzards at the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. And before we get to this story uh, out of the U.S., I want to remind you about Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food. This is what we proudly feed our two pups, Moses and Monroe. They're both on different diets, and, and we've helped put those plans together in collaboration with the team at Grand Dog. This is a family-owned business, and they care deeply about the health of your furry friends. It's not just quality raw food for dogs. They've got great options for cats as well. And if you go to the Shop Now link, you can learn more about the supplements they've got. Coming up, future episodes of Real Talk, including this week. We're going to tell you about some of the specials they have gone on, going on this month. But right now, I want to tell you about the hip and joint supplement. It's natural joint support from the team at Four Leaf Rover. We're using this for Moses, our aging boxer, and we're seeing the results. It's really incredible. The promo code REALTALK knocks 10% off your first-time order delivered to your door in Alberta via granddog.ca. So this story out of the In-N-Out burger franchise in the U.S., uh, arguably mm-hmm. the most storied burger franchise stateside for people that love their 4 by 4s animal style. If you know, you know, <laughs> In-N-Out <laughs> is an institution for a lot of people, but they've made news in now five of the seven states where mm-hmm. In-N-Out operates. They are banning employees from wearing masks. Yeah, I heard about this. Uh, unless, like- unless you have a doctor's note. <laughs> really? Yeah, including in California, where In-N-Out is legendary. Unless you have a doctor's note that there's a medical reason that you've got to be wearing a mask, In-N-Out says it's time to take them off. It seems a little backwards to me. I think, I think we're out of the mask phase, but I still see people wearing them. And uh, I don't know. Even before COVID, though, if you've ever taken a flight to Vancouver or Europe or Asia... Like masks were pretty prevalent before. Yeah. Um, I know that's a different setting in an airport, but it just seems weird to, to ban a mask if somebody wants to wear one, needs to wear one, or is worried about, you know, I'm sure there's there's going to be another virus that'll come along, you know, or even if it's flu season, maybe just now you just, you, you can't afford to yeah. take time off. Maybe you want to wear a mask just so you don't miss work yeah. at In-N-Out Burger. So it's, <laughs> it seems a little ridiculous. The, the, uh, the company, uh, this is according to a memo that was made public. That's kind of the way it goes these days. This reporting per the LA Times. Um, as of August 14th, employees without a doctor's note will no longer be aware, uh, allowed to wear these face coverings. They say, or says the memo, uh, that the policy has been implemented to help promote clear and effective communication mm. between employees and customers they say we're introducing new mask guidelines that emphasize the importance of customer service, the ability to show our associates smiles and other facial features while considering the health and well-being of all individuals. Uh, they say if, if you want to continue wearing a mask, the medical note has to uh, describe a specific medical condition or health request or concern that would require you to wear a mask. Um, and then they've got to wear a company provided N95. So you can't mm. even bring your own. The company's got to provide. I would imagine it probably 
probably has like in and out branding on it or something like that. <laughs> Failure to comply, says the memo, may result in disciplinary action. I'd that's, be curious to see if somebody runs that up the chain and takes them to court. That's a little far. And it, uh, an infectious disease expert and author by the name of Dr. Judy Stone um, has uh, released uh, a public note denouncing the new policy, uh, saying that it violates COVID-19 recommendations by the Center for Disease Control, the CDC, and uh, endangers employees. Mm-hmm. So I'd be curious to see if, if more companies... Uh, will step out like this? I, I don't think here in Canada, but I do understand the the one part of that where they were talking about people with you know clear communication. There is there is a a portion of the the population, and I met one at an event recently who people with uh, hearing disabilities, learning disabilities. If they can't see your mouth moving, it's it's a big thing for them. People who read lips, uh, it just. It was like a nightmare for this person I actually met. And it kind of put things into focus for me on some things I hadn't been thinking about during COVID where people with even mental health issues, like if they can't see your mouth moving, some people get almost into hysterics, especially people with like hearing disabilities. Like they literally communicate through reading your lips. So I think there is a small portion of of the population who could benefit from that. But I, I don't I don't see a tons of chains doing this. Do you think they're doing this to possibly not dissuade, like to not set people off who are against masks, who maybe they're I don't customers? Think, I don't is think that masks, what the I don't think thing that, is? Are masks divisive anymore? Like, I mean, I'll be honest, like just, just to say it, I saw somebody, and I know someone will get pissed off at me for saying this, but I saw somebody yesterday driving in their car, all the windows rolled up by themselves wearing their mask. And I'll, I'll be honest, like, and I don't know anything about their circumstance, but I just kind of like, it just kind of made me smirk, not at them, mm. but I just kind of like, I don't know, it just kind of made me smirk. Like, but also, I don't know anything about them. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. I don't know anything at all about their circumstance. So maybe I should just shut the fuck up. But, uh, but I don't think that mas- if I see someone. Maybe there's a it- sick person lying in the back. <laughs> Maybe you didn't see. <laughs> or who knows? Maybe they have full blown COVID and they're on their way to the nursing home to sure. visit their parents. No, I don't know. But but I like I, I I don't think that masks are divisive anymore. If I see somebody wearing a mask no. on a job, I go, okay, fine, do whatever you want. Wearing a mask on do whatever the do whatever you want. I, I you mean, know. maybe down south, but I think the temperature up here is has cool. Maybe a little different. Although I think that and maybe some people, people are kind of triggered by masks too. Like mm. like because they've moved on, they want everybody else to move on too. Mm-hmm. And not everybody has moved on. Like I saw there's some great comments, by the way, on our live chat right now we love you guys uh but but who was it someone said why are we talking about this like this is like this is over it's not over what this is tracy why is this being discussed like covid's gone uh tracy says wastewater numbers beg to differ i agree well, we're I not think- saying that but the, but the rules and, and regulations regarding it are gone right is which is why we're talking about it. yeah but again at this big large outdoor event i was at where i met someone with a hearing who basically was deaf um i also saw people wearing masks Outside, yeah. This was a food event. It was a live music event. People are still wearing them, even outside. So. Yeah, some are. Yeah, Ryan says, "Why is this controversial? It's time to take off the mask." One person on a plane previous to COVID doesn't make masks prevalent. Um, there's certainly more. One now. person. Did, Have you ever flown? Well, like, in Asia, I, I mean, if you look at Japan, no, but even it's in Vancouver, normal, but. I lived in Vancouver. They, like tons of people wear masks. Yeah. Even before COVID. If so. you do, fine. If you don't, fine. Uh, that's my take on it. Tracy says my daughter who has lupus, still, uh, you know, who can't get any virus, uh, still wears her mask at work and is still getting harassed. Um, you know, MA says they put their mask on again because of the smoke. Yeah, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, for, for, for a lot of people, it's like, you know, the mindset is, uh, 
it's, it's post COVID. And then if you talk to people that are like in the medical profession, uh, you know, it's not post COVID, but yeah. what, for whatever reason, and, and talk shows like this have a, a role to play here in, in discussing this, like how did we get there and where are we? And I think for a lot of people, it was just pandemic exhaustion, where as soon as like the big game changer for a lot of people was getting that you know, first vaccination, then the second, and then you get boosted. And then I think for a lot of people, it was like, you know, they're, that's it. They were, mm-hmm. there, there was pre-vaccine, there was post-vaccine, and now for a lot of people, it's like post-pandemic. You know, it's now an endemic. I mean, yeah. you know, it has changed, but it's not gone. It's never going to be no, gone. We know that, but like both of us, we had all our vaccines. I had th- like three. I got COVID as well. Yeah. You know, for me, it's not like totally in the rear view, but I'm just saying, I think most people, the temperature is cooled. Even if you see someone wearing a mask, like I, I don't think anything of them. Maybe if they're in a car with the windows rolled up, like you said, but, driving but by. But again, I, like, I don't yeah. know what's going on. It you, just, it you just don't made know. me You don't smile. know what they're facing. You don't know what they're going through, right? No so, idea. But this seems ridiculous to me for someone who maybe, like like I said in the beginning, just doesn't want to get sick and actually miss work. Um, but, but the only thing I can think is that, because what would be the reasoning for this other than you don't want to piss off your customers who may be against masks? Yeah. I mean, I, I do think it is kind of, it is somewhat of a remarkable step. It's always more remarkable when you're the first, when you're the first, and it'll be easier for subsequent companies and corporations to make announcements similar to this policy-wise. But And it's not just, uh, you know, this is, is this still called a mask mandate? I guess mm-hmm. it's, it's called, it's, this would be an unmask mandate. Uh, but it's, it's kind of, a, it's the same as, as, as the back to work. Sure. Like a lot of people are seeing their, their companies, um, you know, probably more private companies than others, but, but, saying and, and and there's a whole bunch of factors at play here including downtown vacancy rates and office leases and and all that kind of stuff i mean even mike lake here made the comment he said you know you know he made that slight comment where he said you know in the house like face to face you know people want to see their politicians back in sure. the house or back in the legislature and like um, front counter at in and out burger okay i get it you know maybe maybe in the kitchen if they if things are loud they need to see each other's lips but like if you're working the drive through What's the what's the problem with you wearing the mask? They don't see you till they come up. I guess and you as hand long them as the people bag, can understand, you, right? You know, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Um, you know, a lot of people. Andrew wonders why are people freaking out about masks? If it makes people feel more comfortable, then let them wear them. I, are, I never got it know, the whole time. Yeah, it says why are people trying to police what others do? I thought we had freedom. That from Andrew. Fair play, pal. <laughs> fair play. Uh, Alberta girl says that uh, she's been reading headlines. You know, says there's headlines today that say that long COVID is set to collapse healthcare. We don't even know much about long COVID. Yeah, right. This is this is the type. It's like you know, how, we know more about the impact of polio on the generation, you know, the seventy and eighty year olds now than we did during polio, or you know, five years after the fact, mm-hmm. right? So um, Ben says wearing a mask voluntarily, a personal choice, you know, because of smoke or medical concerns, yeah. uh, only makes sense. Uh, so, and Justin says the number of people that are refusing or afraid to get boosters who got the initial vaccine are kind of baffling to me a lot so. of people wearing masks lately with with just the smoke and fire like you just mentioned because it gives people like my partner to tinder like massive headaches for the yeah. last two three weeks right so yeah 
How about yep. this from Tracy? Tracy's tying together all of our talking points over the past month. Says no masks allowed because a few customers don't like to see them. No pride jerseys allowed because a few fans will complain. Hmm, says <laughs> Tracy. That's what Chuck was saying yesterday. Charles Adler, the, 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 the majority needs to be more loud. Mm-hmm. Wondering why those, uh, you know, on the fringes are sucking up so much oxygen in the conversation. <laughs> you can hear Charles the Adler loudest. every Monday uh, right here on the show or the first episode of every week. And during COVID, they were the loudest, too. And that's why during COVID, like there was, like you just said, we're not going to know everything about COVID for decades, right? We're not going to know all, everything we need to know, all the research, all the, all the impacts of it. But even during COVID, everyone was trying to be an expert. And yeah. I was just sitting back being like, I don't know. I don't know. Even yeah. the experts don't know because yeah. they won't know for years. So people are saying right now, Jess, but we know a lot more about long COVID. Nobody's just, just nobody's covering it in the news. Sure, we know a little bit about it, but I'm just saying, like something that's named long COVID, we'll know more about it the longer we are away from COVID. But I'll take Hence your the point. Long. We do know. We do. Of course, there's a lot of research <laughs> happening right now, and and people much smarter than us are are on that. Andrew, I don't know if I agree with Andrew on this one. Says if your job can be completed at home, you should have the option to work from home. A forced back to the office policy is just because managers or company owners don't trust employees. I think that could be part of it. But I think also there is in, in some industries, there is there's something to be you said be for, for being there yeah. in person, for collaborating, for the magic that happens in, in at a group workstation or around a boardroom table mm-hmm. or with people, you know, shooting the shit at the water cooler and, and so I can go home ideas back <laughs> each other. I mean, we could do this show 100 percent. You could be at home. We I totally could, be at could home. do this from home. we could. But but, but I see like, when would we shake martinis like <laughs> or fist bump. Yeah. But I see even when I'm driving downtown now, I think of all the office buildings or even when we were we were looking for content on, on L.A. the other day. I was like, I wonder how many of those office buildings where it used to be such a meeting point, right? The water cooler, the meeting room. Yeah. Where half of those people are probably at home now. And like Mike was saying, everyone knows how to use Zoom now. Everything is taking place on Zoom, through text, through email. It's it's it's, it's a strange new world. Yeah, certainly is. Uh, wanted to let you know, coming up on uh, tomorrow's show, you can get your questions in now. We're going to be pulling a couple of comments from Mike Lake, and we'll put those in front of Canada's Environment Minister. The Honorable Stephen Gilboa will join us on tomorrow's show. But out of the gates, it's going to be the publisher of Canada's National Observer. Linda Solomon Wood is going to take us into her column on what she describes the tragedy of the commons, Google, Meta, and Canada's Online News Act. That's Bill C-18, the one that everybody's talking about but maybe doesn't understand. We'll get into the details and then chew on them. Thanks for joining us right here on Real Talk. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, 
Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.